Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're all here. It's so exciting to see so many faces. And if you walked in, just let me say this. If you walked in today with just some heaviness from the week or loss of hope after maybe a certain football game, you're okay. It's okay. Would you look at your neighbor and say, there is hope? There's always hope in community, always hope in Christ. To our guests, uh, we'd like to welcome you. So I see several new faces here. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor here at Westview. For those online, we're glad you're joined in with us too. Uh, we are continuing on in a sermon series here called Mayberry 2.0. Uh, for our guests and those online, there is a, this worship guide that Emma talked a little bit about. Uh, there are these sermon notes in the back. Now, I'd grab a pen. I'd grab a pen because we're going to add a bunch of notes to this today. I think they'll be really helpful in our walk in life as a community, so be ready with that. Those who are online, this is pinned to Facebook Live, and it's also on our website, so you can join along with us there also. All right. So we are on week three of a sermon series called Mayberry 2.0. This whole series is about how do we grow as a community so that we can impact our community? How do we grow as a community where community is actually becoming less and less in our world, where faith is becoming more individualized, where faith is becoming more private? How do we see the importance of community in the Bible, not just for ourselves, but that we actually change the world because of who we are. So we're jumping in here. Um, for those who watch Mayberry is that fictional town from the Andy Griffith show. And for those of us who, we, the reason we're using this a little bit is I think because of all the links we have to North Carolina. So Pastor Wayne, didn't he do a great job last week? So it's good to have him with us. He come all the way, like you said, from North Carolina just to preach on this series. My wife is from Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been in Mount Airy where Andy Griffith was born. Kind of grew up watching this. Several generations here know the series. But did you know, a lot of times we go back to the Andy Griffith show because it seemed like time stood still. Did you know that that series aired for eight years? From 1960 to 1968. I know I just dated a bunch of us. For eight years, it looked like time stood still. But if you actually watch the series, it actually is all about change. They're constantly changing. I remember you watched Opie growing up. You watched music and rock and roll kind of come into the show and all the tensions of community and stuff, and you watched them change. They were always changing. And so that's why we talk about Mayberry 2.0. They were the community changed and they grew each season. So we're answer, asking and answering this question with us. How do we grow? How do we grow as a community? How do we upgrade Westview to 2.0? And so I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. It's way back there in your Bible. It's a very small book, only five chapters long. We're actually in the summary end of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to talk more about that. While you're turning there, I think it's important. I want to share with you something else that's really important on my heart, and I know it's on yours too, is we are a church. We're very well resourced, and so we're always about planting churches. And one, we've been working on planting a church in Wyandotte County, Kansas City, K. We've been working on this for almost six years. 
with three or four other churches. And we've shared with you over and over, Hope United is the name of the church we're planning. In a tough part, uh, a really working class part of town where a lot of churches have moved out of. And we've shared, and Pastor Yort has come and shared with you, and we were excited to tell you that we're going to launch that church here in October. But we have decided as a team to go ahead and hold back a little bit from that. We're actually going to launch them in the spring of next year and build up towards Easter. And let me explain why. Nothing's wrong. They're actually, they have a huge daycare center and they're already penetrating their community. They're already meeting the needs in their community. They're already meeting and building a core team. But as we examine the needs in that community and we look to see how that church can be strong, we realize I think they need more time to build their core team to be stronger. And so we all put our heads together and said, let's just wait a little bit. It's not that they're not being church. They're already being church there. But we want to be better prepared. And so that will be launching. We'll keep you in tune with that. But I'd like to start with actually praying for them together as a community. That community is part of us. And so let's bow our heads together and let's pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for Hope United, a church that's landing in a place where there is huge need where that community is going to bravely go into a community and impact them with hope and joy and the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for Pastor Yort and his wife Kate and their little son Levi and their whole core team that is forming around them. Father, you just fill them full of spirit and they're ready. They're already engaging that community so well. And so, Father, we just pray and lift them up. They're on our hearts today because they're part of us and they're part of our investment, our commitment, and our prayer. We pray all this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Now, I want to give you an opportunity, since you all prayed for them, if you go to our newsletter that came out this week, there is a link on there that you can join their prayer team. I would love to see 100 of us joining their prayer team so you can see intimately what's happening all the time and you can be better connected with something that's, that's a unique way of, of planting a church that we haven't done before. But go out on that link on our newsletter. If you're not getting our newsletter, write it on your Connect card on here and we'll get you linked up to that newsletter. But who would here commit to joining their prayer team? I'm just going to like see how brave we are today. So go out and hit that link and just help them. They need that prayer. Uh, this is a bold effort, so I appreciate you doing that. We shared a couple weeks ago that our community here at Westview is a very diverse group, all different backgrounds, all different um, faith bases, uh, denominations, uh, generations, nationalities. And it's like, how in the world do we all come together and get along in the same room? And we said it's because of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that centers all of us. And that's how we started this series out. And so we are pulled together. We are all, believe it or not, we are all here because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what has us all in this room. And it's how that brings us all together. So this first sermon point I want to bring up that's an important one to start on about our faith is our faith is personal, but it's not private. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. Our faith is deeply personal. Our faith in God through Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit is very personal because God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are very personal. But our faith should not be private. And that's going to push back right away because we live in a culture that wants our faith to be private. They want it out of the marketplace, they want it out of the civic community. Your faith is yours. Keep that. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not private people. And the mission of the church is not either. 
But Christians, where we're struggling, and what we see as Christians in general, speaking of the Christians in our nation, is that we have made our faith too personal. Faith has become more about me. It's become more about come and receive. What we would say, highly individualized. My faith is mine. I came to Christ. And, and, and we've seen this in the numbers that are moving away from church and community. And so this whole series is pushing back on that and describing how the Bible describes the critical importance of community. But also, for Christians, our faith has become too private. We start to believe when the culture says, hey, it's yours, but keep quiet about it. And so we believe that and we shrink back. And yet, we contain in our hearts the hope of the world and the joy of the world for a world that's looking for it so desperately. Let me share this. Our, a private faith is a hidden faith. I want to be really clear about this. A private faith is a hidden faith. And there's two problems with hidden faith. The first is we cannot accomplish the mission of the church, which is to go and make disciples. If we have a private faith, we're missing the ball right away of spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. There's this other element of private faith, though, is that my private faith is a place where I can hide. Let me say that again. I use a private faith because it's a place where I can hide. In our pain, in our tragedy, in our sin, and even this one, in my comfort. Pain and tragedy and sin and even comfort tend to cause us to retreat. It causes us to retreat from our nuclear family. It causes us to retreat from our community of faith. We move away from community. For those of you veterans of the Andy Griffith Show, this happened all the time on the Andy Griffith Show. They're retreating all the time from community, dealing with sin, tragedy, struggles, and even comfort. I think there was an episode, what was it? The county clerk, what was his name? He goes and gets a little hut on the islands. Howard. Howard. And he thinks that's the answer. Go secluded, go hang out. He left community. I want to set up this scene. This is a scene from the Andy Griffith Show where Opie gets a slingshot and his dad mentors him. Barney walks alongside, teaches him. But as you and I know, there's a downside to slingshots. Watch this with me. Look, Pa, ain't it slick? Oh, that is a beaut. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> One thing now, you got to promise you'll be careful with it. Well, I will, Pa. I'm just going to shoot at tin cans and stuff. Okay, you make sure you do. Generally speaking, there are two main requirements in becoming adept with a common slingshot. <laughs> One is keen, sharp eyes, and two is a good, strong set of pinching fingers. <laughs> Fortunately, as a youth, I was endowed with both good eyes and strong pinching fingers. When shooting got dull, I started taking up the trick stuff. You know, like uh, over the mountain, <laughs> behind the barn. <laughs> under the bridge. <laughs> and of course, my best was a tail gunner, you know, with a mirror. <laughs> gotcha.
time you see Miss Snyder, tell her to keep her cat at home. That thing killed one of our songbirds today. Oh? Yeah. No, it couldn't. She's been gone to her sister's for over a week, and she took the cat with her. Hope you sure got that bird. Oh, what a shame. Found it laying out in the yard. Opie, aren't you going to finish your supper? Whatever can the matter be? So here's this question. Why is it when Opie did something wrong, the first thing he did was he retreated from community? Why is it when somebody loses a job or their self-esteem, they retract away from community? Why is it when a marriage is going through a struggle, we watch them disappear from the church? Why is it when somebody's struggling with addiction, they hide away from community? And even a weird one here, why is it when we really feel in control and comfortable, we leave community? or maybe just attend it once in a while. The answer to that why is in every situation is that we're believing a lie. There is an enemy, and the enemy tells us it's safer in the dark. This enemy tells, me, uh, tells us it's okay to be idle in our faith and not grow. Get your salvation card, you're good. There's an enemy that tells us that people in community will only judge you or treat you differently. And what the enemy does is he kind of opens up a door and invites us in out of community and he closes that door and we realize we're in a prison and we hold the key. Which flies directly in the face of this. Jesus created community. He created the church. He created the church and community to battle for each other, to go after the loss. Why is this God's plan through Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Why is church God's plan A to change the world? Let's look at our second sermon note together. I'm gonna say about three things I think that are gonna chap our hides. There's a good old Kansas term. <laughs> this is the first one. Community is where I rely on others more than myself. That rubs us a little bit. Community is where I rely on others more than myself because we know, well, we know Jesus knew that we would have to grow in spiritual maturity together, so he gave us community. People here that have wisdom, people here that care for us, people here that encourage us and rally us along life's path. And Jesus also knew there was gonna be tragedy, pain, suffering, sin, in idleness. And Jesus knew we couldn't do it on our own. When those things hit, he knew we would retreat. So he created a community, the church. It feels bad or it feels against us to rely on somebody else. So you're not gonna like the second statement. Community is a place where I trust others more than I trust myself. So let's break that down a little further. 
for I trust. Trust is a hard word, I think, in our culture today. But this is what I believe in trust. Trust is at the center of all of our faith. I trust God that he's got me through Christ, that he'll take care of everything. I trust him. I trust God that through Jesus did everything that he did on the cross and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I trust him that my outcome is okay. And that same God, that same Jesus, and that same Holy Spirit is in each one of you. I trust you. Are we perfect? No, we're not. I'm not. I've proven that over and over. Thank you for not saying amen. <laughs> but we're good when we're centered on Christ. Love everybody, trust everybody. But I understand there's different degrees of trust. Like I trust all of you to come up and share with me what God puts on your heart. And I trust about five people to come deep inside my inner circle that won't treat me any differently and grab me by the lapels, shake me up when I need to be shooken up. And love me even when it's hard. And I imagine you have, there are people in this church can fit in all those categories. You can trust and love everybody here, but there are certain people that you can bring into inner circle who are centered on the same thing you are centered on, and that's Christ, not themselves. They help you through life. So here's the third word that I know you're not gonna like. I already took you into relying and trusting. Now here's another one is that when we trust, we can be held accountable. And only in the church can we be held accountable to a right standard. Now we're, so now I'm really rubbing you. It's like, okay, now I want you to be accountable too. So tell me, let's, let's share a little bit here. And those online, like on Facebook Live, just type something in. What's the first word that comes to mind when you hear accountable? Freeform, let's nail it, come on. Yell it out, that's a little louder. Being watched. What's that? Being watched. Being watched. Judged. Judged. Honesty, good. These are all real. Keep going. Respect. Respect. Responsible. We heard responsible like three times in first service. Yeah. Being responsible. What other words? Truth. Truth. Open. Open. Answerable. Answerable to. Somebody used the V word in first service. Vulnerable. <sighs> what? held to a higher standard discipline. discipline man let's go for like an hour <laughs> do you notice every one of those words carries some heaviness right accountability let me make sure from a biblical standpoint when we rely and we trust we can hold each other accountable accountability is actually a form of grace and mercy and it is always motivated by love when it is done biblically it is an act of grace and mercy. And it is always motivated by love. So let's talk about biblical accountability. So what does accountability look like? Let's look at our third sermon note together. This is what accountability looks like. Accountability involves caution, challenge, and cheering. Caution, challenge, and cheering. Let's go to that little church 
in Thessalonica. Let's go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 together. Let me tell you a little bit about this church. This church, like all the early churches, was planted in a pretty hostile environment. It was planted along one of the major Roman roads, kind of between Jerusalem and Rome, if I can give you kind of a pinpoint. When the first missionaries showed up there and went to plant this church, they chased them out of town. Not only did they chase them out of town, they went to the next town. Those people went to the next town to tell them, watch out for these guys. I don't know of any other way you can say keep your faith private. How did this church do? Go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this week. It's only five chapters long. Read the whole book. This old church in the first chapter It says, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. Wherever we go, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. They nailed it. They're on fire. They were changing the community all around them. The Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders who planted in three missionary journeys a lot of the key churches in strategic areas is writing this letter to the little church in Thessalonica, encouraging them. He's saying, you as a community are the best place to be while we're waiting on Jesus to return. Be accountable to each other, grow together, and let's change everybody around us. And they were doing that. So let's start here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. I'm gonna break this down to three parts. He starts with this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. So this is actually the summary of Paul's letter. This last chapter five is he's kind of like, here's, here's the big summary. He says, let's start with the leaders of your church. And this is important, you know, because in our culture and our community, we really push back against our leaders. He's saying don't. He's saying they work hard. Recognize them, honor them. They guide this community. They protect this community. They care for this community. They're not perfect, but they're nailing it. They're inspired by the Spirit. Pay attention to them, honor them. In our church, Westview Community Church, probably between four and 500 people call this place home. I can easily guess there's at least 100 plus leaders in this church who lead your small group, who walk with you one-on-one, who do a certain service ministry, who preach, who do worship, who, whatever. There's easily 100 leaders in here that are pouring into all of us. Honor them. They are for you trust them I debated talking about this because uh, it's I don't know I never liked looking upon myself October is a month that starts here in a week it's always called pastor appreciation month I don't like that let's call it ministry leader month and we normally look at it that way would you do me a favor in the month of October would you honor your small group leader would you honor the one who's pouring into you would you show them that love and trust and encourage them. And the reason why I ask that is because the last 18 months have been really hard. And this team hangs in there. And they love you. And they've sacrificed a lot and been through a lot. 
Okay, let's jump in. Let's keep going. So that was the first. That opens up, and he opens up with leaders. And then he starts talking about accountability in a church. This is a gospel-based church. Starting in verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are idle. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Man, be patient with everyone. And see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Can you imagine this little church that almost got ran out of town being told be good to all people? Notice the first two words. What are they? Brothers and sisters. He's already said it twice. That's how we start out the first section. Brothers and sisters. He repeats it again. Brothers and sisters. Why? Because community is family. Our church is family. We are like spiritual brothers and sisters. That connected. That's the kind of love that we should have to be the church we're to be. The church is family. It encourages everybody by first caution. He says, warn those. Caution is warn. Your old, older version might say admonish. Admonish is an old word that means warn or caution. It's like, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. Hey, you're stuck. So he says, caution those who are idle. Caution those who are disruptive. And then challenge them. Encourage the timid. Care for the weak. Challenge them. And cheer them. Be patient with everyone. Always do good. Be right there. When we warn and challenge, we walk with and we encourage and cheer. Grab your spiritual pom-poms and go full on. Cheer them on. They need that encouragement with their change in direction, changing path. And so he talks about leaders, he talks about accountability, and he wraps up with this. He says, when you respect and honor your leaders like that and let them pour into you, and when we hold each other accountable and we grow as a church like this, he says, this is what worship looks like, starting in verse 17. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And he wraps it up. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He says when we trust our leaders upon us and we hold each other accountable, we worship Prayer, prayer is so powerful. You guys do not have a bigger weapon here than prayer for each other. We pray every day for everything that's going on in this church that we know of. We love it when you fill out this card and write your prayer request. We do not miss it. We pray for it all week. Always use this. Drop it in. Emails do whatever. We love praying for you. He says, be thankful. And everything that happens because of Christ Jesus, we win. Our worst day, death, is our best day. He's got us. And he says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works amongst us all the time in accountability and encouragement, constantly tapping our shoulders saying, hey, engage them. Hey, it's okay. Don't stifle the movement of the Spirit within us. In verse 23, in this, we will all grow together. 
We need each other. To be like Jesus, to be more holy, do this until he comes back. That's how long we have to do it. We'll start today until he comes back. You see, caution, challenge, cheer. Warn those. Don't stay where you're at. Get out of the rut. Come on, drag them. Pick them up by the lapels and pull them up. Challenge them. We'll walk with you. Let's break this habit. Let's, let's work through this. Let's not be lazy. Cheer them on. I am with you every step of the way. Celebrating your wins. Kicking you in the bottom when you don't got it. Gently. Well, I'll, I'll cover that in just a second. So let's go back to Andy Griffith. Look at those three things. Caution, challenge, cheer as they deal with Opie when he retreated. careful with this thing? I'm sorry, Pa. That won't bring that bird back to life. Being sorry is not the magic word that makes everything right again. You gonna give me a whipping? No. I'm not gonna give you a whipping. chirping for their mama that's never coming back. Now you just listen to that for a while. shy away from anything with man smell. Yeah. You got your spores on it, they won't go anywhere in there. Oh. Fella hunting the big stuff on one of them African safaris found out about that. You want to bait your trap for tiger or something like that? Main rule is never to touch the food with your hands. Huh. That's good to know. Next time I go tiger hunting, I'm gonna take my tweezers. <laughs> made the difference. <laughs> What's that? I guess Miss Snyder's back. That's her cat. Oh, just a cat. A cat? Cat? A cat? <laughs> so there's an example there about how we hold each other accountable. Let me show you a list here. You might want to write these down. This is how we hold each other accountable. First is that we do it restoratively. What it means is our goal, anytime we hold somebody accountable on the side of our body, our brothers and sisters, we do it to only restore them, to help them see the potential that they really have. 
That's the main thing about community is that we all reach the potential that we have in Christ. So we always do it with this goal in mind, restoratively. Second, confidentially. When somebody's going through something, probably the worst time to publicize it is when they're going through it. But when you see the stories, when people are restored, we love sharing them when it's appropriate because it encourages all of us. Third is promptly. When you see something's wrong, to quote Barney Fife, nip it in the bud. Get after it quick. Start early. It's much easier to correct things when they're new. And the fourth is gently. Gently. Grace and mercy are always gentle. It can be hard love. You can be tough. You can even be old school and be gentle. But we always do it gently. That is the heart of a brother and sister right there. Let's take a look at this fourth sermon note together. Accountability is three-pronged. So this is important. Accountability for it to work in church is three-pronged. First, yeah, we all need an, an Andy, a Barney, and an Opie. We all need an Andy, somebody who's a mentor to us, somebody who's pouring into us, somebody that we trust, somebody that we let inside that inner circle enough that we trust them to grow us. They have the wisdom, they have the authority, they have the grace. We all need an, an Andy. We all need a Barney. You know, that loyal friend who walks with us all through life. Now, Barney maybe isn't the best example in here in the show, but he was always loyal and he always loved well. But we need that Barney, that person who's walking with us in life, holding us accountable. And then we all need an Opie. We need somebody we're pouring into, somebody that we're sharing everything in our wisdom, knowledge. We all have gifts and talents that God uses to build up the body. So my question is, who is our Andy? Who is our Barney? Who is our Opie? To be a disciple-making church, we need all three. Now let me use some biblical names that might sound a little bit true to you. Everybody, let's change this a little bit and say we all need, when it comes to the Bible, a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Paul is the one, obviously, throughout the New Testament, most letters are written by him. The one guy who was tearing the church apart and persecuting it became its greatest planter and greatest mentor. We all need a Paul. We all need a Barnabas. And Barnabas, you'll see him in the book of Acts. He traveled on all those missionary journeys. He was a partner and a cohort in the mission of the church. Does anybody know here, you know, in the Bible, names mean everything. They do today, too. Do you know what the name Barnabas means? Always one scholar sitting close by. Son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. Do you know that Barney is a derivative of Barnabas? Just making a connection. Son of encouragement. We all need to be the son or daughter of encouragement. Third is we all, we all need a Timothy. Timothy was a young man that Paul poured into and several others that became a great pastor in, in the early church. As a matter of fact, if you go into the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are Paul's letters to him. You will see caution, challenge, and cheer as Paul encourages him. We all need a Timothy. Now, these are a lot of guy names. So let me throw out some, some women's names, some amazing characters in the Bible, people in the Bible 
How about everybody needs an Elizabeth, a Ruth, and a Mary of Bethany? Elizabeth, when she was pregnant and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth took her into the home where the world was shunning her and she mentored her and helped her through that season. Ruth, you know Ruth's story in the Old Testament, you might be familiar with this, is she went with her mother-in-law, stood by her side and loyal as they changed, lost everything and went on to a new life. Ruth was right there by her side, encouraging her all the way. And the third is Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany, Mary and Martha. Mary was the one when Jesus was in the house, she was at his feet, allowing herself to be poured into. A big question for us today is who is our Paul, who's our Barnabas, who's our Timothy, who's our, who's our Elizabeth, Ruth, and Mary of Bethany? We should have all three. If you're in this room and you're 10 years old and you think, I can't mentor somebody, yes, you can. When you have Jesus in your heart, you can mentor and just do amazing things. So that leaves me with one last question to maybe hit on is how do we really do this? You know, in our humanness, we struggle. Jesus made a way. Jesus gave us a new life-giving way. Jesus gave us what we call an upgrade, 2.0. And we find this in Hebrews chapter 10. I'll invite the worship team to join me. I want you to read this actually with me. You know, I say this every once in a while. I had this, uh, this teacher who said, uh, used a Hebrew word. When you read this, read it with chutzpah. <laughs> read it with blah, 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 blah. No, let's read this together. Those who are online with us, read it out loud in your living rooms. You ready? And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Keep going with me here. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. It's the second time you've heard that. The day of his return is drawing near. Jesus reminds us that we navigate this new life together in community. I'm going to ask the servers to come up here and join me. I think if you know me well enough, you know I like lists so you can kind of see. I want to share this statement with you. Community, this is who we are. Community constantly encourages us. If you wrap this whole sermon up into one thing, it's this thing. Community constantly encourages us that we are loved. You guys know the times we don't feel lovable. Community always reminds us that we're loved. We're loved by God who created us. We're loved by the community. Community also encourages us that we're forgiven. It doesn't matter what we've done in life. 
that sin can be taken as far away as the east is from the west. And community's here to remind us of that. You are forgiven. Do not live in that sin no more. Community encourages us that we are made new because of the blood of Christ. We have been washed clean. And look at this beautiful community. We've all been washed clean. And community reminds us, encourages us that we are ignited. That now that you are loved and forgiven and you're made new, let's go out and change the world. And let's change each other. There's another word that means community. It's communion. It comes from the same base. When we do a communion, it's always a, a very, it's like the pinnacle of our service. It's like the most important thing. Communion is a time that we encourage each other. Our communion is open to all. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're a guest with us today, please, you're part of the Christ family. We want you to participate with us. Let me share with you how we're going to do that. The worship team is going to start us into a song of reflection. I want you to start coming up right away. Come to the tables, you'll be served. You'll be served a piece of bread and a, and a cup with juice, and I'd ask you to take it and sit down, but do not take it yet, for we'll take it. We're going to worship a while together, and then we'll take it together. When you're done, just leave the cup at the bottom of your chair. We'll take care of that after the service. If you have not yet declared that Jesus is your Savior, and you feel like you're being left out, but he's drawing you to the table, I'm going to say, come to the table. Join us. But afterwards, write a note on your connect card or whatever and say, I'd like to know more about Jesus. Let him draw you to the table. It's okay. But we want to walk with you and explain what happens at that table. We are a community. So let's do communion together. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy.
I'd like to share with you a scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 up your head. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread. Showing that we are one community, one body. That's what communion is. Just take this piece of bread with me. We jump ahead another chapter there in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, On a night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to his closest friends. They're there in a room with him, just like us. And Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. It's symbolic of my body which is given for you. Jesus says, take this and do this in remembrance of me. Let us take that together. As we take the cup together, we continue on there in the scripture. It says, in the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup, this cup is a new covenant, the new agreement between God and his people. Jesus said, this agreement is confirmed with my blood which is what the juice symbolizes, is the blood of Christ. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink from it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Third time we've heard that today. This cup symbolizes forgiveness through the shed blood of Christ. This cup reminds us that we don't have to stay in that prison of lies, but we can walk out in community and not retreat from it because we've all been made new, but we need each other. Let's take this together, praising Jesus and celebrating community. I'd like to go into a time of offering with you. It's, it's, it's a way we continue worship together the first thing is consider when you give today, we're asking you to give multiple ways. Financially fuels the mission of the church. When you leave today, there's these boxes by the doors, one upstairs, you can drop a financial gift. I said, when you do that, there's only two ways we should give. Joyfully. And our best. And whatever that is. The second part of offering is, is looking at the scripture today and looking at accountability and recognizing if I've been retreating, do I need to come back? Do I have an Andy? Do I have a Barney? Do I have an Opie? Because we can't make disciples without all that. And that's our mission. Also, guests, when you leave today, if you would please fill out this Connect card, we'd love to connect with you on Monday. You can drop it off in these boxes or go out to our Welcome Center. There's a gift there for you, but we want to connect with you and just see if we can help you in this journey trying to find a church home, community. We'd love to help you. 
Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this little church in Thessalonica. It was so brave. When everybody was saying, keep your faith private, they stood up and said, I cannot help but share the joy and hope of our Lord. Father, we are like a lot like that little church in Thessalonica. We are a bold church. We're a brave church. We just want to push and push and push until we're all on fire. Father, if there's anybody in this room that's retreating, reveal that lie. Have them write on that connect card. It's like, I am lost. I am in a prison. Would you help me come out? Would you help me escape? And we'll pull you into community. Don't expect perfection from us, but expect love and a lot of wisdom. And Father, for those who are sitting here saying, I, I really don't have a Paul. I, I really don't have a Barnabas. I really don't have an Opie. I, I'm missing one of those. And so I'm missing being the wholeness of community. Father, we pray that, that those people pray a very bold prayer today, and that is give me all three so we can be community that changes community. This world needs us. It's a dark and hard place. And we have light and joy and hope. Why would we not share that? Father, encourage this church to be even bolder today. Let us come together tighter as community. And we walk out of these doors. Let's invade our community with the hope of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with us together as one church? In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good. For the lamb and conquered death And the dead rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born And the Spirit lit the flame Now this gospel truth of old Shall not kneel by his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who is resurrected me. today's takeaway. Go, be mentored by Andy, walk with Barney, and pour into an opie.